You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin today by calling in the spirits to gather around us. So I call out first to our ancestor, to those people who have gone before us, those people who dreamt of a future, those people who spoke prayers and asked for blessings, and we emerged, the future coming alive. So I call out to those ancestors who called us in the first place through their dreaming to be with us here today and to help us, help us to learn from the mistakes in their lives, help them to learn from the innovation and the creativity in their lives, help us to learn from the inside of their lives, to live in this life in a good way. So I call out to those ancestors who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives through that ancestral legacy. And I ask that we open up to that legacy here today and allow ourselves to be strengthened, to be connected, and to be loved by those who dreamt of our coming, that we might dream powerfully for those who are not yet here. So I call out to these ancestors, ask them to gather around us here today to hold us well. As we reach our energy down into the earth and call out to that most ancient and very important ancestor, the earth. And so we call out to the earth to be the being and we ask her to be with us here today to receive our gratitude for life, our gratitude for the wonder and the miracle of life, for the fact that our bodies know how to heal and that ecosystems know how to evolve and that there is great wisdom here on this planet. And we give thanks to the earth for our opportunity to be part of that wise cycle of life. We give thanks to the earth for the interconnectedness of things and for the understanding that no one of us can do what we need to do here alone. And so we call out to the earth to be with us here today and we choose to ground into the earth, to connect to the earth all the way to the very center of the earth and to call this energy into our body that we might feel well, we might feel whole and we might feel like we're in the right place at the right time doing what we're meant to do. So we call out to the earth and give thanks for home, for belonging, for the hearth. We give thanks for connection and interconnection and for the wonder of the great diversity of life around us. We give thanks for this beauty, this miracle, this reality that is this day. And with our feet firmly planted in the earth and the ancestors gathered round, we reach up through our bodies, through our hearts and minds and out and up into the sky, through the sky and into the atmosphere, through the atmosphere and into the cosmos and all the way out to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, I ask you to call it down into yourself, into our circle, into your day. Call in the energy of protection, the energy of blessing and generosity and benevolence. Call in the energy of inspiration and illumination. We call these energies down into ourselves, into our circle, and into our day. And we ask the energy of the sky and the energy of the earth to come together within us, to merge and blend and bring us into balance for this day. And when the, with the earth rising from below and the sky energy coming down, we call out to the energy caught there between, the heart. May the heart be nourished by the wisdom of the earth may it be cultivated by the wisdom of the sky and may it open to be exactly what it is designed to be, the crucible for your life. And we call out to the heart to do what it's designed to do, to draw up the fiery passions of the belly that know our soul's true purpose and to draw that up into the heart and to draw down the cool clarity of the mind and to bring these energies together in a way that draws out a third, which is the knowing of why we are here. We ask the heart to give birth to this awareness and we ask the heart to give us courage to bring that energy out into the world and to do it so that our life is filled with purpose and meaning. So with the ancestors gathered round, the earth below, the sky above and the heart awakened by our conscious intention, we give thanks to the spirit energies around us. We ask that what needs to be said is said here today and what needs to be heard can be heard and that all these proceedings go forward in a way that is ultimately good for all living things. 
So I also would like to give thanks for those of you that actually truly make the show possible in the physical, ordinary reality sense of that. So I give great thanks to Teresa and to Nate and to all of the listeners who have donated to this show. I give thanks for every single tiny, tiny donation and the large ones as well. Every single dollar or ruble or lira or I guess there aren't liras anymore, euros or whatever comes in, goes directly to keeping the show on the air and supporting our wonderful producers, CoCreatorNetwork.com. And so I give thanks for those of you who have donated and I give thanks to those of you who have donated your inspiration through your questions, through your comments about the, about the show, um, through sharing the show with others, through connecting, um, putting a link on your website to the show so that others might connect. Whatever it is that you have done to help this show to grow and the word to spread, I give thanks. I give thanks to all of you for all of it. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, even in ways that irritate or disrupt, that is perfectly fine because it means you've been moved in the heart. And I ask for you to make that fundamental shamanic act and allow when you are moved in the heart, allow yourself to be motivated into action and to do something based on that action to spread the message, to support the show, to do something to help that which needs to grow here on earth to grow. So we give thanks to all of you. For those of you who want to know how to support the show, the simplest way is to go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button and donate. And if you are still uncomfortable with donating online, as some people are, feel free to email me. I'd be happy to send you um, a mailing address. So thank you all. We give thanks to the spirits. And I give thanks to the questions from listeners that pretty much have um, created the structure of our show today as we continue to talk about the shamanic journey and um, direct revelation, which is what the shamanic journey offers us. And today we're going to continue with the sort of trials and tribulations, common mistakes, and Heloise's helpful hints about how to journey well. Um, the show is live today, so um, please feel free to email me with your questions. You are also welcome to call in um, at 512-772-1938 or to um, connect through Skype uh, on the Skype button on the co-creatornetwork.com site. So we're welcome to entertain your questions about journeying here today. Um, so what is a shamanic journey? What I'd really like to get to today by the end of the show is some talking about um, mastering the art of the shamanic journey. But where we are uh, today really is still in the beginning of the show at least talking about the discipline of the journey, the basics of a shamanic journey. What is it? What makes a shamanic journey a shamanic journey and not some other altered state? So for those of you who have listened to my shows before or who have studied with me, you know that my perspective is that the human body is designed to enter many, many, many altered states. And um, these altered states are necessary for our health and mental wellness. Um, the shamanic journey is a particular kind of altered state. The shamanic journey states are particular in their um, the state of consciousness that they induce in that they are task oriented in other words shamanic altered states are not for dissolving into the universe although that does occasionally happen that the shamanic altered states are for getting a task done they are intention driven states so you enter shamanic altered states to do something with the help of spirit um sometimes the thing you enter the altered state to do in your journeys is to ask a question um, it is the nature of our challenges in life that we are all often asking questions in our journeys, whereas in earlier shamanic cultures, it was the nature of their challenges in life. I mean, we all had survival challenges, but um, in first contact shamanic people, the survival issue might have been more direct, like where do I hunt, when do I plant, um, and those Shamanic journeys are sometimes a little bit different than just going to ask questions as we often do. Nonetheless, what makes a shamanic journey a shamanic journey? What makes a shamanic journey a shamanic journey is that you are entering into a particular altered state in which you are connect you are aware of, connected with or merged with your helping spirit and moving in non-ordinary reality. So you're moving in um, a realm other than the physical world that we live in. 
Um, and usually the reason it's called shamanic journeying is because usually there's a bit of an adventure happening. Um, uh, some sort of something is unfolding. Um, often a bit of an adventure. And then it is the adventure that is interpreted as the answer usually. Um, it's, it's not necessarily like a channeling session where um, you ask a question and get a direct answer to the question verbally that in a shamanic journey much of the answers need to be interpreted because the journey is often um, experiential and by that I mean the journey experience now a valid shamanic journey comes in a whole range of experiences from highly visual to highly auditory to highly kinesthetic and um, various mixes of those things and some journeys are um, feel sort of better, quote-unquote, than others, feel more satisfying, uh, stronger. Some journeys are sort of light and you sort of barely grasp the answers. Others are very deep and and very all-consuming. These are all journeys. Um, So there's not a specific thing that is a shamanic journey. There's a range of experiences that we would call a shamanic journey. The most important things about a shamanic journey is that the journey state is induced. We're not just daydreaming or doing an inner visualization, but that that shamanic state is induced through, well, we've talked about this many times. Since we're talking about shamanic journeying today, and most of us shamanic journey um, in our everyday life to the drum, some of us have um, exceptional lives where... Um, we might journey with a plant hallucinogen or four days of dancing or something like that, and that's fine. There, I, I talked in the other show about different kinds of inducers that induce the journey state. But for most of us in our everyday life, and shamanic journey can be an everyday practice, you would be journeying to the drum. So I'm just going to talk about a drum journey. Again, not to say that's the only kind of shamanic journey, but that is the most common, and that's what I'm going to refer to today. And so um, I was talking about there. So there's a range of experience that would be considered a valid journey. But the things that make it a journey are, as I said earlier, it is task-oriented. You go for a reason. Um, That it is an induced altered state. You're not just daydreaming or visualizing, which are really powerful practices as is meditation. These things are all of great value. They're just simply not journeying. Um, And I was going to say a third thing. So you go for a reason. Oh, yeah. And you're connected with your helping spirit intentionally. And you are working with your helping spirit. You're often shape-shifting into your helping spirit, but that you are in the journey you are connected with your own helping spirit or spirits in the journey. And that is another uh, primary identifier of a shamanic journey is that what makes it not just me and my higher self is that I am connected with my shamanic helping spirits doing shamanic work with them. It's not just Christina and her higher self or you and your higher self. That, that's not a shamanic journey. It can be a powerful altered state, but it's not a shamanic journey. Okay. So – Now, um, one listener asked me, so what does a shamanic journey feel like? Well, I can't answer that because a shamanic journey feels like like the answer to that question is as large a range as asking someone, what does a dream feel like? I mean, even with one person, there are many, many, many different ways dreaming feels. And so if we look at all of the people doing shamanic journeys, what, what a shamanic journey feels like is very, very different, and which is kind of – I'm leading up to a question from a listener because I want people to understand that a shamanic journey is a discipline to extend our natural intuitive senses and to merge them with spirit so they can be really hyperextended and have this experience we call, from our human perspective, direct revelation, direct connection with the source through our helping spirits. Okay. Um, Oh, I lost the point I was going to make. I'm sorry. So humans, just got it. Humans have three primary sensory, extrasensory awarenesses. We have clairvoyance, which is seeing. We have clairaudience, which is hearing, what's not actually auditory to the ears. And we have clairsentience, which is experiencing. 
Another friend coined another word, which I can't remember right now. It's kind of funny, but it speaks to another um, quality of um, knowing, which is just simply knowing. You don't have any experience of having seen or heard or experienced it. It just comes fully formed within you and sort of blossoms into a knowingness. And so these are ways of knowing. Now, in the shamanic journey, you're going to – oh, and these ways of knowing are part of your energy body. Everybody is strongest in one. So you may be more visual than auditory or kinesthetic. I described in the first part of this show about journeying that I tend to be more kinesthetic. I experience the journey. And seeing and hearing are there, but they're not the strongest aspects of my my journeying. Um, So understand that for every person, all three or four, if we add the knowing piece in, All four of these ways of experiencing the journey are constantly available to you as well as an experience in the journey of your five senses. And so all of your senses, physical and extrasensory, need to be open and different journeys may utilize different avenues of getting the information into you because that's all our senses are. Our senses are avenues by which bits of information outside of us enter into us and allow our brain and our imagination to generate a reality that we're experiencing. So that's what's happening in journeying is that you are opened up through your senses to bits of information that's there in non-ordinary reality and you're connected with spirit and gaining information through that connection. And so What a shamanic journey feels like is a very, very broad answer, but it has um, all the feeling sensation like like you might have when you become aware in a dream. You're aware of hearing in the dream and seeing in the dream, maybe tasting in the dream, feeling in the dream. You're aware of what things feel like on your skin in a dream like rain or sunshine or um, who knows what. But all of that, that sensory body, that energy body that moves about in dreams, moves about in journeys. And um, similarly, this um, extrasensory body, the clairvoyance and the clairsentience, the clairaudience, the knowing, these energies go with us as well. As well as a kind of awareness that comes through a sort of free association of um, – That comes through our symbolic language. And so that's the other piece I was saying about journeying where we may have an experience in the journey. This is also true in dreams, but let's stick with journeying. An experience in the journey that has a symbolic meaning to us. And so the journey in and of itself literally may not be the answer. But an interpretation of that experience, so an interpretation of our own symbolic language may be the answer. So anyway, my point is what a journey feels like is a really big and open question. And um, I think one of the handicaps we as contemporary people bring into journeying is movies. And I say this with a deep, deep love for movies. I, I Well, I love a good movie. But... What it does is it biases us for that experience of this really profoundly coherent visual experience that takes us. I mean, going to a good movie is a little mini altered state. You know, when those credits roll and you go, (gasps) you know, and you're shocked and you're sad that you have to leave that world, that means you've been taken. You've been taken into an altered state, which is the altered state of that movie. That realm, that world of that movie, it can happen for people reading as well. But the point that I'm making is that we're used to slipping into that altered state from all of the visual focus of our lives. And we bring that bias to journeying, expecting our journeys to be this coherent visual story with a soundtrack and costumes and a plot line. And that's not a journey. Well, frankly, to be honest with you, bless their hearts, some people do journey that way. I do this for a living and I don't. Okay, so it doesn't have to be that way and bless the hearts of the people for whom it is. That's lovely, but that's not true for most of us. For most of us, there is no coherent plot line. There is no soundtrack. There is no voiceover explaining what is going on. There, I mean, if, if you have had a true hallucinatory experience, remember that journeying, you know, one of the main inducers for journeying is 
the plants, the plant hallucinogens. And so the, the journey experience is, it tends to be somewhat more like a hallucination than it is like a movie for most people. And so there is an awareness and experience and then maybe some darkness and then maybe another experience and then some darkness. And so the important thing that you bring to the journey is your reason for being there, your focus, and that your your willingness to stay focused on your question, to repeat your question in the journey, keep the whole journey focused on your question, and then to trust that everything that happened in that journey can now be interpreted as an answer to that one question. And that's a big piece of the journey discipline. So with all that said, I want to um, share a question from a listener from Josh. So Josh said, Hey, Christina, I tried to journey before and after listening to your previous shows on the subject, um, but I've never had success, though I probably haven't given it enough time, energy, etc. either. Now, that's an important point, that willingness to be um, sane and sensible and realize that any new practice needs practice. You know, any new discipline, any new meditative form, Tai Chi, Qigong, anything that's trying to help us enter a particular altered state from everyday ordinary thinking brain takes some practice. And that's true about journey. With that said, Josh continues, after listening to your first shows on how to journey and not really being successful, I bought Sandra Ingerman's books, which is a good next choice. Um, I never finished reading them all the way. But they seem very visually oriented. And as you talked about the show last week or the last, the first part of this show, um, I can see that your journeys have little to do with visuals. And so this is an important point that I think people need to understand in your journeying is why sell yourself short? Why expect it to be purely visual? You've got so many other senses. Use them all. Use all, especially if you don't tend to be a visual person, really open up your senses. There's another little thing about journeys that it has to do with the fact that we are working with helping spirits and they can be a bit trickstery. Many people who are very visual, like artists, visual artists in life, get very frustrated journeying because their vision is totally shut out journeying. And what they don't realize is the spirits are saying, you are way overdeveloped visually. Use your other senses. Become a whole person. And this is the thing we have to remember in our journeying is our journeying is part of a much larger process, which is the development of our soul and the opportunity in this life to become a better person, to become a whole person. And you're helping spirits see journeying as a means by which they can help you to do that. So if you're overdeveloped in auditory or visual or kinesthetic, they may shut that part down in your journeys and get you to open up your other senses. I know a woman who journeyed just fine and then suddenly all of her journeys went black, saw nothing, thought nothing was happening. What the spirits were doing were forcing her to become more kinesthetic. And this is a woman who had spent the first 50, 60 years of her life not living in her body, not really being a a deeply sexual creature, not so much sensual, but just sort of getting by with that body. And so the spirits were saying essentially through the way that she journeyed, through shifting the way she could journey and work with them, that if you want to take the next step in your life – You must get into your body. And so the only way she could journey was to open up her kinesthetic sense of things and to use her energetic five senses in the journey without being able, well, not five, only three, because she wasn't allowed to see or to hear anything. This went on for a year and a half, but she diligently kept journeying. And in doing that, was able to develop a much greater sense of awareness in her journeys, as well as then learning to translate that awareness into life. And that became a profound part of her healing process. So understand that while the fact that you're a brand new journeyer and your helping spirits aren't letting you see anything may be vexing and really annoying and make you want to throw the CD across the room and, and give up, There may be a much bigger plan going on. And so I encourage you just to open your other senses, open all your senses, and continue. Um, Yes, almost everything on shamanism is written with a strong visual bias. Yes, it is. Uh, Ignore that. 
part of it is in the English language, at least, we don't have a lot of words for anything other than that visual bias. So it's easier to communicate as if we were seeing everything. You know, but even Sandra Inkerman is primarily auditory. But she writes as if it's profoundly visual. So keep that in mind. Don't have that expectation that you're going to go into the journey and see a movie. Don't have that expectation, as we talked about in the first part of the show, that you're going to go into the journey and have a total out-of-body experience and not have any awareness of your body lying here on the floor um, with your headphones on. You know, These expectations are often the problem. And so Josh, in his great wisdom, continues in his question saying, I think my biggest issue is getting past my expectations. I know I shouldn't really have them, but I'm not sure how to not have them. I expect something to happen, and it's hard to differentiate what is random thought and what is something I should pay attention to. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions. So that's Josh's whole question. So yes, expectations are a problem, a hurdle in journeying for many people because, of course, for as many people as you can have, you can have that many expectations, and they're all problems. And so you want to approach journeying as if you were Tom Sawyer. And for those of you that don't understand that reference, because it's a very American reference, I'm sorry about that. So approach journeying as if you are a young boy or girl, 10, 11, 12. You, you've gotten out from whatever um, boundaries your adults have set for you, and you're free to go have an adventure in the day. And there are no rules other than the fact that you are the one who is guiding the day and that you're about to have an adventure and you have no idea what's going to happen. You don't have any certainty about what anything means. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know any of it. All you know is you are hell-bent on having a great day. And so you want to approach journeying in that way like a child, not in a sense of weakness, but that really powerful place of a healthy childhood where you do not know what the hell is going on. You um, don't have, you don't know enough yet about life to have expectations. You're just going to go for the adventure of the day and discover. And that's, that's the best attitude to enter your journey with. Now, with that said, you have to go in with the discipline of the journey, of course, which is to focus on your question, repeat your question. And at least initially, Um, Having an opening to go down or to go up is helpful because it gets you out of the middle world where things are very complex and confusing. There's nothing wrong with the middle world. It's just a very complex area to begin journeying in because you don't know what's what. So if your question is how do I differentiate from what is random and what is something I should pay attention to, make sure that you are leaving the middle world because that question is always hard to answer in the middle world because it's just really energetically messy because we live here. And we're energetically messy. But if you really get up to the upper world or down to the lower world or out of the middle world, be another way to say it, then you're in a realm that is not going to be quite so confusing and complex with our mess, human, our human mess. Now, with that said, understand that people can journey without having this idea of middle world, upper world, and lower world because there are many shamanic cultures that don't conceive of things that way. But they have a very strong sense of when they are in this middle world, in the spirit energetic space of this middle world where we all live and when they have exited this world. And that's the important thing to be able to distinguish the difference of when you've really gotten out of this realm. So yes, expectations are a problem for most contemporary people. And with that said, I encourage you to think about a journey as something that can only happen if you allow your imagination to be used. Whatever it is that will happen, the something that will happen, will happen in your imagination. It's not like you're going to Cleveland, and Cleveland is a different place than where you are right now. Sorry for those of you in Cleveland, that wouldn't work. But you get my point. You're not going to another place in that sense where the physical structure is different there than here. You are going into a realm there is no there there. The whole journey is shaping itself around your question and your presence there. And so there's, there's nothing to go visit in that sense. 
that what is there to experience is entirely shaped by you, your question, and your imagine, and and it and it's shaped in your imagination. And so, instead of having a sense of an expectation, clear your mind. Well, you know, there's that thing about the mind that if you think about the thing, so if you think about not having an expectation, you'll have an expectation. So ignore the whole expectation thing completely. Think about your imagination. Think about your imagination opening. Think about your imagination being available. And think about your senses and your extrasensory senses creating lines into that imagination for the information to pour in and shape the energy of your imagination into the something that you're going to experience in your journey. So that would be the thing that I would suggest that you think about is not whether or not to have expectations, but to think about your imagination and offering it up making it available. Most of us are extremely isolated, especially with things that are very private, that we are very protective and hold these things very close to the vest. Open that imagination up for the spirit world to use. And remember to bring it in again after your journey as you go back out into your life because you don't want to just leave your imagination hanging out for other people to use. So with that said, the other piece is to come back around to the the question of practice. So Josh rightfully admitted, you know, maybe he didn't try enough, maybe he didn't practice enough, but, you know, there's this aspect of Qigong where if you practice the wrong way, it's not necessarily helpful. And and there can be that in journeying. I've heard some horror stories um, about what people are, quote-unquote, taught to do by supposed shamans in their journeying. So with journeying... The other thing is you need to understand yourself. And now in the first part of this show, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about people that have too much air and too much earth. So what you need to do is understand yourself. In your practice of journeying, you need to understand what do you need to do before you choose to journey? Do you need to bring your energy up? Because you tend to be very rational, earthy, grounded, and practical. And you need to bring your energy up so you can really spark that imagination and get those lighter energies moving. Or do you tend to live in your imagination all the time? So you need to do some grounding practice to bring your energy back down into your body and into this practice of journeying. So there needs to be something prior to journeying in your journey practice, if you're, especially if you're journeying alone, to gather your energy. And for some If you're too airy, you need to gather it in. If you're too earthy, you need to begin to draw it up. But the point is to gather your energy. Another part of your practice should be to really contain your space that you're going to journey in. It's very important that you minimize interruption and and ordinary reality distraction. So that's important. Now, you can also, if if you know things about shaping sacred space... How do you shift this little place you have in your home to journey from everyday ordinary reality space into sacred space? And so the more that you can create a space of a sacred space around yourself when you're journeying, the better for your journeys. And then once you go into the journey, there's two things that the journey altered state is a paradox. And that's the only thing you need to pay attention to is that paradox. And the paradox is this. The focus of your question, which is your responsibility, and opening up your imagination. So where you go, who you meet along the way, what happens as an answer to your question and how that answer comes to you is not up to you. Your job is to experience it, to participate in it, to remember it so that you can, you can interpret it when you get back. And so you need to hold this dynamic tension between the discipline of the journey, being with your helping spirit, and periodically repeating your question, and then opening your imagination. And then I guess the third thing is trying to remember the best you can the details of what happened. And so then after your journey, you would write it all down, and then when you shift gears a little bit, you'd come back and interpret it. So... That's kind of my best guess here at um, Josh's question. And we have another question, um, which I can't actually answer. (laughs) 
question is this. Would you please talk about hypnosis and its place for a person practicing shamanism? Is it similar to a journey experience? Does it have value outside of the journey experience? If so, are there indicators of when to pursue hypnosis and how to utilize that experience? I have absolutely no idea. I'm just not one of those people that is has a rich and full experience from hypnosis. I don't I don't have a I don't have a um frame of reference to even begin to answer that question. And I apologize for that, but I don't. Um I'm not sure what the distinction is. I've had people tell me they're the same, which can't possibly be true because they're used differently. They result in different things. So obviously they're two different things. They're certainly two things of value. I just don't have any experience with hypnosis to even say. Um, For me, obviously, I like journeying. I like the freedom of journeying. I like the fact that um, I can exercise my relationship with spirit anytime I want to and around whatever issues I want to and that I don't need to wait for the blessings of someone else. I don't need to wait for some class. I don't need to wait for anything. I am inherently an impatient woman. I'm sure you've all noticed that. I am. I like the fact that journeying is always at my fingertips and that um, it's a deep and rich and kinesthetic experience. Some journeys are shallower than others because I don't think we get more than we need for an answer. So I don't really know how to answer that relative to hypnosis. Sorry. Um, so now we're running out of time already. Goodness gracious. So there's a whole bunch of things about journeying that we went through in part one of this show. And so if any of these things are quest- things you have questions on, just go listen to the archived show in whyshamanismnow.com or at the co-creatornetwork.com site. Either way, you can find an archive of the show. We went over the discipline um, and the, the discipline of journeying in a nutshell. We talked about it being an induced altered state. We talked about different ways people can journey. We talked about some things that are not shamanic journeys. They may be valuable altered states, but they are not shamanic journeys. Uh, we talked about what do you do if you think you're making it up. We talked about um, that the first mistake people made is not using all their senses. We talked about dismissing simple answers. These are really common errors we went through. Too much air, too much earth. I just referred to that a little bit. We talked about immaturity energetically so that you have to be protected by your helping spirits and you're sort of stuck in a shamanic playpen in your journeys. We talked about um, treating your helping spirits as a means to an end. instead of realizing they are an end in and of themselves and cultivating a rich um, and loving relationship with them. We talked about the spirits as teachers. And we also talked about taking your answers to their fullest logical conclusion. Um, And that's a very important thing, but it's in the other show. So we're going to continue on um, today and let you all just go back and listen to the archived uh, podcast if those things are of interest to you. So I'm going to shift now into common errors in the journeying technique. And with that said, let's remember that your errors in journeying are finely crafted learning experiences. So um, there are ways to enhance your journey in terms of your sort of your journey technique. There are ways to enhance your journey. And I actually just listed some when I was talking about practice. So one is understanding, although this is very counterintuitive, the more grounded you are in life in a healthy way, energetically grounded, the more freely your helping spirits will cast you about and take you on journeys. That the more grounded you are here, the more reliable you are in your ability to get back to your body fully and completely after a journey. So ways that you... so. Because of that reason, similarly with boundaries, the better you are in your boundaries and your relationships you are here, the more easily your helping spirits can take you into your journeys. Now, if you think about that, if you think about boundaries, boundaries, healthy boundaries as creating a nice, smooth sort of egg of energy around you, and then you think of unhealthy boundaries as being this big, snaggly, hairy energy thing around you that hooks on everything and snaggles on things and creates drama where there doesn't need to be drama. If you have those kind of boundaries in your everyday life, you're going to have those in the journey world too. So you're not going to be easy to move through non-ordinary reality because you're going to be all hairy and snaggly and getting hooked on things. And so if you have nice, clean, clear 
luminous, beautiful boundaries, if you have good grounding, if you understand how to create sacred space and leave your and have a sense of leaving yourself here in sacred space and traveling into sacred space and journey. And the more you cultivate familiarity with your relationships with your helping spirits, so you know who you're meeting, you know how they like to respond to you, you know how they like to communicate, and so what they're doing starts to develop a certain kind of inherent making sense to you. These things are all things that can enhance your journey. People don't think about it that way, but grounding and boundaries in ordinary reality become a healthy, vital able to move around energy body and non-ordinary reality. And so things um, translate between the realms, between the physical world and the non-ordinary reality world. Now, for some people, journeying in community really enhances their journeys. And I'm always a little bit, uh, a little bit um, hesitant when someone says, well, I can only journey in community. That is not precisely true. It may just be simply true in the moment. So what is happening normally when someone feels a much fuller journey experience in community or they feel they can only journey in community is that the person is not able to muster enough personal energy and to safely protect that energy to go into the journey on their own. So this would be considered an unhealthy state shamanically. It would be considered a state of an energetic state that would need healing from a shamanic perspective. From an American perspective, it's normal. And that's the sort of the trickiness between the, what is common or normal or ordinary in an everyday American life and what is considered health and well-being from a shamanic perspective. Now, the other reason that many of us journey better in community or let's say a workshop is usually because the person presenting the workshop is put a lot of energy into creating the sacred space there, containing the energy, calling in spirit. And so the space is created, it is grounded, it is potentiated, it is, it is charged with calling the energy of spirit in. There, I know for me at least, I call an extra protection for everyone so they are safe to journey. And so usually the person guiding that community experience, which is usually a workshop experience, has done a lot of work to shape the space you're going to journey in. Plus, there are just the numbers of people there. So there's, you know, 10 good hearts is more than one good heart. And so there's lots of heart energy there. There's community energy there. And so the things that get easier in community are also easier in the journey in community. And so there's that sort of positive sense of why we journey better in community. But then there's also that unhealthy reason. So the whole journeying in community is a way to enhance your journey, especially if you're really struggling. But it can be a double-edged sword if you become dependent on journeying and are only able to journey in the energy created by community. And if that's the case, I would suggest that you work with that. There's one other thing that I want to bring up here that I I don't think I even had on my list here today, which is that sometimes when people are um, struggling with learning to journey, that is because somewhere in their very early days in life, the early years in life, they made a decision usually a survival-based decision, to shut something down or to protect something. And in doing that, unintentionally, they shut down their journeying apparatus, for lack of a better word. And I have seen this, um, it shows up. It's not rare, but it's also not common. I don't really know what to call it. But it does show up where someone essentially needs a shamanic healing to be able to repair the situation that um, set this, um, flip this switch in a sense and cut off their journeying apparatus. It's not that they can't journey or they don't have the ability. It's just it, the, it's the, the, the switch has been flipped and they can't get to it for a valid reason, a choice. For a, a, in other words, free will was used to turn this off, to disconnect this natural capacity. And so free will has to be used to turn it back on. 
And usually this is some form of shamanic healing. There's some sort of um, usually energy removal or energy retrieval, sometimes a soul retrieval. But some, some sort of exploration of the old situation needs to be done to find out what was the child trying to accomplish, which is usually some sort of protection or something, and to offer a new way to accomplish that. And so to, to take care of that protection in some way so that the person is free to flip their journey switch back on. And usually after that healing is done, a person journeys as well as anybody else. And so that is a possibility, and keep that in mind if you're really struggling. Most people aren't really struggling. Most people are having wonderful moments of journeying. It's just their expectations don't validate those moments. But if you really feel like the whole apparatus is turned off, it's certainly... um, For example, I met a man recently whose friend um, uses the journeying technique in their business and so tried to teach the friend how to journey and that didn't work. Then this person actually even did an ayahuasca journey and even the ayahuasca didn't work. Now, if you've got strong plant hallucinogens not working, then something's turned off. So anyway, keep that in mind if you're having trouble journeying and if you want to enhance your journeying, you may want to make sure that the entire apparatus is... um, free to operate. So another misconception about journeying is that it's some kind of total out-of-body experience and um, that if you have some awareness of what's going on with your physical body while you're in the journey, somehow the journey's not happening. And I think it's important for people to remember that um, that's kind of a Hollywood-induced idea. But that in practicality, especially if you've ever been to a culture that the shamans are still active and watch them practicing, they're moving in and out of various altered states, shamanic altered states, constantly and repeatedly, again and again and again throughout the time. So I, I remember in Ecuador sitting with a shaman in a big cinder block room with 24 people there. The kids are running in and out. The shaman's talking to the kids. The shaman's showing pictures to the kids. The shaman turns around and goes right back into an embodiment trance state, does a healing, does this, that, and the other thing, and then comes right back and has a conversation with somebody in ordinary reality. That, that the ability of a highly skilled shaman to move in and out of various altered states is very clear. Okay, so so this idea that somehow I'm ty- entirely like gonzo out of my mind in a journey is really Hollywood-induced. That one of the oldest definitions of the shaman is the person with a foot in both worlds. Now, that doesn't mean you've got your foot stuck in the door, or it doesn't mean you're sort of not really here. What that means is a foot firmly planted in ordinary reality and firmly planted in non-ordinary reality. In other words, grounded and able to make sense of both worlds potentially simultaneously. And so not only am I aware of my body when I'm journeying, it's not my primary focus, but I'm keeping track of sensations that I'm feeling in my body my physical body, while I'm keeping track of the sensations I'm having in my body while I am journeying, my journey body. Because there are many signs and even twitches and sometimes even sharp pains, sensations I get in my body that are part of the message from the journey. And and, and this is important to understand because in journeying, illness often shows up in another, you know, in another person's body when you're in a shamanic trance state as an insect or a fish with teeth or um, some sort of little creature that is usually very menacing and often has, has um, teeth or fangs or is spitting or venomous or is somehow doing stuff in the mouth that is not normal if you saw that creature in everyday life, in ordinary reality. These energies are usually the manifestation of the illness. Now, it's important to understand and not get that confused with your helping spirits doing a big presentation of power, which also appears menacing. And so how does someone know the difference? You know the difference in your gut. And this is things shamans all over the world will say. When they encounter the illness in the journey, they are physically ill. 
that sensation of vomiting or sudden nausea, sudden blow to the stomach, that feeling is partly how you recognize that energy you've just seen is the illness, is the problem, is the whatever, and is not a helping spirit. Because the other confusion that people make in initial training is they see they're working on person B. Person B has helping spirits in their body like a snake or even just kundalini coiled in the lower chakra. And I've seen people in basic trainings go in there and start yanking that snake out. Well, it's the person's kundalini snake. Of course it's supposed to be there. And so it's this 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 trying to approach journeying intellectually based on rules some person has given you instead of being willing to feel in your body in the journey. So if you're going to feel in your body in the journey then you're most likely going to have some sense of your physical body wherever you are while you're in the journey experience. Now, the other big mistake that people make journeying is thinking that your journey has some sort of meaning outside of the questions you've asked, that there is some innate meaning in your journey in any way outside of the context of your question. And that is what I mean by this is let's say Betty journeys to find out what is this ongoing, annoying, everyday problem in her work group at work, whatever her work is, right? And in this journey, she um, finds herself pregnant and gives birth. And that's all the answer her helping spirits give her. But her answer was, what is the true nature of the problem in our work group? And so she comes out of that journey runs into the other room and tells her husband, honey, honey, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a baby because that's what literally happened in the journey. But the point is that whole getting pregnant and having a baby thing means nothing outside of her question. has nothing to do with her life, has nothing to do with she and her husband wanting to have a baby or she and her girlfriend wanting to have a baby. doesn't really matter. The point is it has nothing to do with having a baby. That getting pregnant and having a baby is the answer to the question, what is the true nature of the problem in the work group? Which has nothing to do with sex or babies in the work group either. It has to do with conception. What is the idea? Who is going to gestate the idea? And how is that idea going to be given birth or whatever the problem is? But the point is people email me and call me all the time. I need help interpreting a journey that I had. And they tell me the journey. And I say, great. What was the question? I don't remember. Well, then you have to throw the whole journey away. The journey has no meaning without the question. And you need to understand that about journeying. That is the journeying discipline. The other thing about journeying that people mistake often is the, the wandering presence of the unknown in your journey. The unknown is not a bad thing in shamanism. It's, 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 a, it's reminding you that you're not in control of everything and you need to make room or space or somehow allow the unknown into whatever it is that you're asking about. The other mistake that people make in journeying is they try to get a handle on the future. You know exactly what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to get there. The whole story right now. And the truth of the matter is the future isn't going to stay put while you get there. That it is ever evolving with countless variables and, it's, and it's, it's changing in so many ways. So really, there's kind of no point in bothering to ask for more than three steps. One, you usually can't remember more than three. But more importantly, once you have actually acted on three steps, once you have actually taken three spirit-inspired steps in your life, you will have changed everything. So while it may be true that I can journey and get the 15 steps between me today and the full manifestation of my soul's purpose in the future. By the time I get to step four, it will no longer be the most beneficial, the most energy efficient, the most direct step four. It's the step four from back then before I took steps one, two, and three. So that's another aspect of journeying is trying to get too much. Make sure you get a focus, make sure you get clarity, make sure you get actions that you can take and then go take them and then come back and journey again. Now, the single most uh, common false assumption about journeys that people make is that your journey is true, that you have touched some ultimate truth in your journey. Well, but spirit told me to. 
And what we all need to remember always when we are journeying is that we are humans journeying. Human equals filter. We are always filtering. We always have biases. We always change things. And so while you may be touching the energy of truth in your journey, you are still interpreting it as it takes shape through your symbolic language in the journey. And then you're interpreting it again as you interpret that answer. And so remember that your truth, accurate though it may be, is an interpreted truth. No one taps the ultimate truth at all times in their journeys. And this is a very important thing for those of you who are practitioners or using journeying and want to practice, is no matter how developed you get as a shaman, you must always remember the humble truth that no matter how accurate you've been, how many people you have helped, how much you rock as a shaman, it is still interpreted truth. And the best thing that you can do in response to that truth is continue on your own path of internal development and change and your own path towards your own transparency. Because there is no way around the fact that, that the journey is an interpretation and it always will be. No one's ever going to get beyond that. And that's not a bad thing. It's part of really understanding the nature of being human and the nature of our human relationship with spirit. The other most common false assumption that people make in journeying is that you actually know what's going on. And that the biggest problem in crafting questions that people make is they assume too much in the very crafting of the question. They assume they actually know what the problem is. They assume way too much. So, for example, someone's asking, why am I blocked around committing in relationship? Well, my first question is, are you actually blocked? What are you actually feeling? And so, for me, when I teach people to craft questions, it always goes back to, okay, and looking at all of their assumptions and going back to the feeling, going back to what are you actually feeling? Are you feeling blocked? There's so many assumptions that we make because we've all read too many self-help books. There's too much self-help level of psychological awareness in our collective consciousness. And we make broad assumptions, which are not accurate once you start trying to craft specific questions for your journey. And so you need to be very careful about assumptions that you're making. Um, And I also see that now we're running out of time. And I still haven't finished all the answers that I had for how to journey better. But um, so let me just say in closing with journey. That mostly what we've talked about in both of these shows are how to work with, overcome, manage, step aside, somehow deal with the common problems, common assumptions, common misconceptions about the discipline of journeying. Not journeying itself, but the discipline of journeying. This is all about the mechanics of it, the technique of journeying. And these are very important. It's not complicated, but the technique's the technique. There's no like technique you know, 201 and 301 and 401. It's not academic. There is a technique and all the complex journeying that I do, for example, in my four-year program is based on that simple technique. There are lots of cool stuff we do, but it's still based on that technique. Where the art of journeying comes from is not technique. It's not higher level technique. It's not some other culture's technique. It's not anything like that. The mastery of the art of journeying comes from learning to craft your questions. It comes from getting really, really good at not making assumptions and understanding what is going on and asking a question relative to that and learning what kinds of questions really work from a shamanic point of view. Because, of course, you're doing shamanic journey and you're helping spirits think you're doing shamanism. So they're going to come from that point of view. So mastery in the art of shamanic journeying comes from crafting questions. It comes from learning to interpret your symbolic language which means understanding how you're helping spirits work with you, how they communicate, and how that taps into your symbolic language and your imagination, and how that tends to equate to an answer. And finally, the true art of shamanic journeying is your learning the ability to translate spirit actions in spirit answers into action. And without action, our shamanic journeys are simply more information in a life that is already overloaded with information. 
So with that said, everyone, thank you for joining me here this week. I give thanks to the ancestors who have joined us here today, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we will be talking about integration, integration of the soul, integration of shamanic healing, and integration of the physical body and the energy body. So I hope you all will join me next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you.